Hope you're having a wonderful day. Hope you enjoyed your sleep in. You should be out shoveling instead of sleeping in, right? All right, today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 24. Hopefully you all read my email that I sent out this week and you all did your homework. And you read Genesis chapter 24 before coming here. Thumbs up for everybody who did that. You sound like my students. Jeez, I'm good if I get 10%. All right, so then for your sake, we're going to do some reading then. So some background to Genesis chapter 24. Well, Genesis 22 is like very well known. That's where Abraham and Isaac, um, well, remember the story? Uh, God promised Abraham a son, a long-promised son. And then the son finally came through a miraculous birth. Then God told Abraham, hey, offer your son to me as a sacrifice. And Abraham followed through. And Isaac went willingly as a sacrifice. Now, the Lord stopped him just before he slain his son. But man, what a picture that story is, right, of the Father, God the Father, and the Son, Jesus Christ. There was a long-promised Messiah who would come, a son who would come. And that son had a miraculous birth, a virgin birth, like none else. Then the Father took his son and offered him up on the cross, as a sacrifice on our behalf. Great parallelism, great symbolism in that story. Well, that symbolism doesn't stop there. And I want to pick up where that story kind of leads, ends off and continue on with the parallelism, the symbolism that continues on with Jesus Christ. See, after Jesus Christ died and rose again, the story didn't end there. There's more to come. We read that in the rest of the epistles, right? That there's more that Jesus is still doing. And there's more to the plan of God, there's more to God's plan of salvation and the outworking of that in the world today. That's kind of what we're going to pick up. All right? I have not really ever heard this uh, mentioned too much. And uh, as I came across, it, like, this is really cool. We've got, we got, we got to talk about this. Okay? So as you read through Genesis chapter 24, here's your little test. Here's your challenge. You don't need to write anything down. If you want to, you can. Make mental notes as we go through the story. Hey, that sounds like God the Father. Hey, that sounds like God the Son. I'll tell you right now, it's still Abraham and Isaac. Okay, I gave you an insider. But I want you to look for, is there someone in the story that sounds like could be playing the role of the Holy Spirit? Is there someone in the story that could be playing the role of the church, the bride of Christ? Okay? So I want you to look for those. See if you can pick out any nuggets of truth in there going, wow, that's interesting. That's a strong tie to... What we see in the epistles and what we see, what we see in, in, in the New Testament, okay? So we're going to read Genesis 24. We're going to read a lot of it since none of you have read it at home. All right? Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to his chief servant in his household, to the one in charge of all that he had, Put your right hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son, from the daughters of Canaan, from the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives to get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I take your son back to the country from where you came? Make sure that you do not do that. Do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household, to my native land, 
and whom spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, so that you can get a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. Only the, sorry, so the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and swore to him an oath concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from the master. He set out for Aram Nathrim, sorry, and made his way to the town of Nahor. He and his camels kneeled down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time for the women to go out and draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar so that I may have a drink. And she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this... I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with a jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up. The servant hurried to meet her, and said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered her jar with her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll water your camels too, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied the jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough water for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fonder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then a man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. For he, sorry, sorry, as for me, the Lord has led me on my journey to the relatives, to the house of my master's relatives. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebecca, Rebecca had a brother named Laban. He hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and he had heard Rebekah tell what the man had said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared a house and a place for you camels too. So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fonder were brought for the camels, and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set down before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. 
Well, tell us then, Laban said. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. And he has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, maidservants and manservants, and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne to him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. My master, sorry, and then he keeps going on, and we're going to skip to uh, verse 47. He goes on to recount the story of him meeting Rebecca. So he gives all the details to, to Rebecca's brother. He tells him, like, listen, here's how I met your sister. Here's everything that unfolded, and he just replays the story that we just read. So we're going to save some time, all right? So verse 47. And then he asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Nahor, whom uh, Milcah bore to him. Then I put a ring on her nose and bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, so I may know which way to turn. Laban and Bethel answered him, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or another. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go. Let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. And the servant brought out gold and silver, jewelry and articles of clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother, and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with them ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way back to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, Let the girl remain with us ten days or so. Then you may go. But he said to them, Do not detain me. Now the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go back to my master. Then they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebecca and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with this man. So the servant Rebekah had left. Now Isaac had come from Beer La Roi, from where he was living in Nevig. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw the camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming towards us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all that he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah, and so she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. All right, let's open a word of prayer before we get going. Lord our God, we thank you for the story. And I pray as we glean from it this morning that you would help us to understand the things you would like to show us and that we understand your great love towards us, the church. Lord, we thank you for your scripture, for his living and active. We give you thanks and may you be glorified this day. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
So we got this story. I hope you're pretty familiar with the story. I'm not going to go back and read it again. I hope you got all that. What I'm going to attempt to do now is break down the four main characters. We see there's Abraham, there's Isaac, there's a servant, and then there's Rebecca. We're going to try in the half hour we have left to break down each person and how they typify a picture of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the church, which happens to be us today. Okay? And, and, and some of the things that we can learn from that. And then hopefully, if we have time at the end, even draw some application in. All right? So without further ado, let's get going. All right. So we see here, okay, we have Abraham. And as previously, in the other stories we've learned, right, about Abraham, he always represents, well, faith, but we're talking about, in this case, which one of the main characters? we got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Bride, right? So Abraham represents God the Father. Now, what does God the Father, what does Abraham in this case, what does he desire? He desires that his son get a bride. He desires to find a bride for his son. Now, if we turn, turn with me to Revelation. Okay? Revelation 21. Go to the last page in your Bible. Okay? Last page in your Bible. We're going to be doing a lot of flip, flip, flipping today through the words, okay? We're going to read the first five verses in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. If you haven't picked up yet where we are, this is future times, okay? This is an event that is going to happen in the future still, all right? I saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a beautiful bride, dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now to the dwelling of God, sorry, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, nor pain, for the old things have passed away. See, God, in the future, will present a people to his son as his bride. The question is, who are these people that we just read about? There is a time where God will take this people, he will dress them up, he will make them beautiful, and he will present them to his son as his bride. Just as Abraham desired for his son, God the Father will do for his son. Who is this people? Well, we could read through Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 5, and look at the great mystery that was revealed. And what was the great mystery that we, we studied here before? What is one of the great mysteries that we looked at in Ephesians? It's this, that in these last times, God has sent forth his son to die for a people, to purchase them to be his own. That God wants people, all men, even the Gentiles, to be a part of his family be a part of his family. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, Husbands, love your wives, just as, you can help me finish it, Christ has loved the church. There's a picture there. There's, there's a symbolism that the bride that we see in Revelation is also nicknamed this church. And who is the church? Well, kind of sitting in it right now. We are the church. 
We are the church. Not the building that we're in right now, but the people, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you are called the church. We've known next. We've studied that many times here before. Go with me to John chapter 17. Thanks, Greg. In John chapter 17, we see a very intimate discussion between the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Father. And we're going to pick up in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Who is he talking about right now? Jesus Christ, this is just before he is crucified. He is talking in future tense. People who believe in me will become part of our family. Lord, I am praying for these people who will believe in me. Wait a minute. We are that people. We are the people in the future tense who have looked back at Jesus Christ and what he has done, and we are the ones who are now believing in that. So what he is talking about, Jesus is praying for us right now, the future believers. All right, we're in that current time right now. Verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me, that I have loved them even as you have loved me. You ready for this, guys? Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. To see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know me, and you have sent them. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. I love this verse 24. Father, I want those you have given to me. Do you guys understand that? That God the Father has hand-selected, has picked out a special people, a bride for his wife. God the Father has picked us, and he is going to one day present us to his son as a gift. Here are your people. Here is your bride, Jesus. That's you and me. That's cool. That's, that's special. That God has picked you and I, believers in Lord Jesus Christ, to be a gift for His Son. To be a gift for His Son. In 2 Corinthians 11, it says this, I am a jealous God, and with a godly jealous, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, that I might present you as a pure virgin to Him. God the Father wants to give His Son a bride, a bride who is special, a bride who is beautiful, a bride who is a virgin that no one else can have for His Son alone. Wait a minute, that's exactly what Abraham wanted for His Son too. Here's an interesting thought. 
Why did God the Father pick us humans to be a bride for his son? I mean, could he have picked angels? Could he have picked other things in creation? Why did he pick us? Disgusting human beings that make lots of mistakes. Why, why didn't he pick something else? He's got vast things in creation. He could have picked anything. Why did he pick us? Just a little side tangent. I just found this interesting. Well, we know that here on earth, right, humans marry humans. Species in the animal kingdom, right? Species of the same kind get together. Well, there's something unique about the human race. That's different from everything else in all of creation. And we actually just looked at this on the last Wednesday night. What's unique about the human race? We are made in the image of God. See, there's something unique about the human race that nothing else has. God made us in his own image. And God took his son and made his son in the image of humans. Jesus Christ, the word of God, took on flesh. He became us. Nothing else in creation can say that. Only human beings. And when you get saved, not only did Jesus Christ become a human, but we become more like God, and that the Holy Spirit works in us, He sanctifies us, to make us like His Son. There's a unique relationship there that nothing else has. Nothing else in creation can claim that. That's why God picked us. He made us for that purpose. All right. Let's look now at the next, the next character. So we looked at Abraham the father, desiring a son. I'm sorry, desiring a bride for his son. A perfect, pure, virgin son. Virgin daughter. A virgin girl, sorry. Bride, <laughs> to be a bride for his wife. God the Father desires the same for his son. Let's look at the servant now. The servant. What do we notice about the servant? Well, not much is said about him, is there? Does anyone, does, who's recounting the story here? Pretty much the servant is the one telling about the story, right? At any time in this section, do you see the servant talk about himself? Does he ever describe who he is? Does he ever even give his name? I, blank, 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 did this on behalf of my master. No, nowhere in here do you see this individual, this servant, at all ever describe or talk about himself. What does he ever only talk about? He only ever points to, he only ever talks to, or talks about his master and the master's son. Never once does he look at himself. In the scriptures. Do we ever see anywhere where the Holy Spirit is out there trying to get a name for himself? Trying to describe who he is. Look at me. Never. What does the Holy Spirit only ever do? He points and directs people to who? The Son, Jesus Christ. And to the Master, the Father. Now, we don't know the name of the servant but we have a really good indication of who he was. If you go back in previous chapters, we do know who the head servant over Abraham's household was. His name was Eliezer. Eliezer. What does Eliezer mean in original Hebrew? 
Eliezer means the servant of God. God the servant. It's interesting. The God who serves. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? He is the comforter. He is the counselor. He is the one who serves us. He serves the Father. He points everything back to Him. I can't say definitively that's who this was, but He's the only person in the Scripture we find out that Eliezer was the head of Abraham's household. So it's very possible that if Abraham had the most important task, he gave it to the head of his household. It says that right here. He gave it to his head master, his servant. So I'll call him Eliezer from now on just because that's who I strongly believe it is. Um, Eliezer was charged with this task to serve his master. And never once does he take credit for himself. Never once does he draw people to himself. Look at me. I am first in command over my master's household. I got everything. He never does that. He only ever points and explains and describes the wonderfulness of his master and the master's son. It's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. Now, the Holy Spirit is on a mission, too. What's the Holy Spirit's mission? He's out there in the world right now trying to gather together a bride, a bride for the Son. And he's trying to prepare them, to sanctify them, to make them perfect and pure and holy, ready for this great wedding day. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting way ahead of myself. <laughs> when was the servant sent? Let's back up a little. When was the servant, in the grand timeline of scheme things, when was the servant released to go get this bride? When did the master, when did Abraham the father decide, all right, let's go get a bride? What time frame? When did it happen? After Isaac was offered up as a sacrifice, when did God the Father put into action the motion, the plan, let's go get a bride, let's get active on this, let's go out there and get those people? When was that? After Jesus Christ was sacrificed, after he rose again. Then he released the Holy Spirit into the world to come along and find people to be his bride. Similar relationship. It's, 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 the coincidence. it's not a coincidence, it can't be. It's amazing. Now, the, the mission that the servant went on, it was an urgent mission. Don't take your time. Get this done. Let's get moving on this. All right? Don't take slack. The mission of the Holy Spirit today is an urgent one. He is out there today saying, listen, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Time is, time is not our friend right now, guys. He is on a mission. He is urgent. All right? If you hear his voice, okay, do not harden your hearts, Scripture says. There's a day coming when judgment's going to come. It's appointed that a man wants to die, then the judgment. You don't have time. If you hear the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart, and we know that Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and lets me in, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. God wants to move into your heart. But what's interesting about that? If you go back to, go back to our section here, I'm going to, Pick up that picture of the knocking on the door, right? Go back to Genesis chapter 24. The, the servant says this, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me? What, what if the bride that, that I want to pick out for your son says, No, I ain't going. Do, do I force her? Do I grab her and drag her back here? What do I do? Abraham says, What do he says? In verse 8, if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. God will not force himself upon anybody. 
The Holy Spirit will not force himself in the heart, in the door of your heart. Will not do it. You have to willingly open the door of your heart. He's only looking for people who willingly want to love the Son. Who want to be a part of the family. Have you and are you willing to be part of God's family? He will not force himself. He's tugging on your heart right now, asking. Have you, have you let him in yet? Have you let him in? He will never force himself upon you. What happens when he meets Rebecca? Let's go down to verse 22. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. And what did he do with those? He placed them on Rebecca, right? He gave him a token. He gave, gave her a symbol. Now listen, this is pure gold. This ain't no cheap stuff. All right, this is like 4.5 ounces roughly. In today's money, that's like six grand. All right. But you know what? Back then, gold was not as abundant as it is now. All right. We're talking somewhere between twenty dollars and $50,000 is what she just gave him. What she just gave her, sorry. This, this is big. This is big. And what was the purpose of this? This was a deposit saying, hey, we want you... We're going to mark you. We're going to put a seal on you. We're going to stamp you, kind of, with this jewelry that, listen, you are now the masters. You are now chosen. Anywhere in Scripture do we see the Holy Spirit going to the future bride, saying, listen, here's a mark that you are now the bride. Do we see that anywhere? Yeah, turn to Ephesians, please. All right. If this is not something that's underlined in your Bible, this is one of those sections you're going to want to underline. All right. Ephesians chapter 1. Trying to decide where I want to start. All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 11. Okay? In him you were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked... In him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You guys understand what that means? The moment you believed, the moment you accepted the message, the good news of Jesus Christ, God went, stamp on your forehead, you're mine. And you know how I know you're mine? Holy Spirit's moving in. The Holy Spirit now indwells you, marked you. You can't see it, but God can. God looks at you and he says, yep, my Holy Spirit's living in there because I can see him right inside you. Now, what's the cool thing about that? 
It's a deposit. It's a guarantee. For what? Well, that one day you'll be in a wedding. That one day you will see Jesus Christ face to face in a great party. Where will that party be? In heaven. Your soul, your spirit are going to heaven. You will be with this. Sorry, you will be with the Savior. Now, many times people say, hey, listen, you can lose your salvation. Do enough bad things. And God will say, nah, you know what? I really don't want you anymore. You know what the great thing is? It don't depend on me. Because when I stand before God in the judgment, and he looks at me, and he sees all the nasty things that I've ever done, one, he won't be looking at that. He'll be looking at his son. Because I have been imputed righteousness in his son. But two, this is the part that I get out of here. This is the great part. Can God deny himself access to heaven? Can God say, no, Holy Spirit, you ain't coming in. Can he do that? No. And since the Holy Spirit's living in me, and he cannot deny himself access, I guess I get to go in. I get to go with the Holy Spirit because he's in me. And never do we read about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament leaving anybody. So he's stuck there. He's done. Yippee. Ain't going nowhere. So God, since God cannot deny himself access, I get an automatic ride in. Because God himself dwells in me. Now think about this. When Rebecca went back with the master, it was with the servant. He went back to Eliezer, right? If Rebecca went back on her own, without the servant, came walking through the field, says, hey, I'm your bride. Where would Isaac go? I, I don't know you. Um, where's my servant? Because my servant was supposed to be going out to find me a bride. Uh, I don't believe you. Right? But since she came back with the servant, there's validity. There's support. There's evidence that this is the one. The Holy Spirit does that for us. You can't just walk up to God and say, yeah, I'm a part of that, uh, that wedding party over there. I'm a part of that. He's going to be like, oh, yeah, who, who are you again? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'm so-and-so. Yeah, I don't know you. I never knew you. But you over there, yeah, I know you because you get the Holy Spirit with you. You have my servant with you. When we go to heaven, we have the servant with us. We have the Holy Spirit with us. And God will not deny us access. We have him as a deposit guaranteeing our souls. And on top of that, what did the Holy Spirit continue to do? He blessed them. He took gifts and showered upon Rebecca. He gave them jewelry. He gave them clothing. and said, hey, here's more stuff. What does the Holy Spirit do? Does the Holy Spirit bless us? You know what he does. Every day. He rains down every spiritual blessing under heaven upon us. He gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us grace and peace with the Father. We can have hope in this world. The Holy Spirit blesses us more than you could ever imagine. Have you recognized that? That you are rich in God because He has blessed you so much. Do you recognize that? I hope you do. It's really good to be a Christian, you know. It really is good. Two more characters left. All right. We'll go real fast. We'll go real fast. All right. Rebecca. A picture of the... Uh, this is the obvious one. It's not the son. It's not the father. It's, it's the bride, right? Rebecca is the bride. When... Oh, let's just go. Don't have time for that. All right. 
I'm trying to figure out what's, what's the most important his points to hit. Let's go back to 20, Genesis chapter 24. Rebecca. Did Rebecca refuse the jewelry, the nose ring, and the bracelets? Did she refuse the, the invitation to be a bride? Did she refuse that? No, she welcomed it. And guess what? What, what did she do as soon as she finished? Verse 28. She ran and told her mother's household about these things. She's excited. She's like, yeah. When you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, were you not excited? I hope you were. Have you lost that excitement? Or are you still running around like you were at one time, telling the world, I'm a Christian. Are you still doing that? Or are you like, eh, I'm a Christian. That hasn't changed your status in God's, in God's sight. But are you still excited anymore about the salvation that you have? Are you still excited about being part of God's family? Are you excited that you're the bride of Jesus Christ? He's going to throw a huge party for you one day. Are you excited about that? I hope you are. Don't lose that excitement. She ran and told her family. Turn with me to verse 57. What's happening right now is, remember, servant's like, all right, good, we've settled this. She's the bride. I'm taking her back home. And the mom and the brother are like, well, you think she can stick around for another 10 days? Maybe, you know, say her goodbyes, you know, settle some things here. And what does the servant say? Do not detain me. This is God's work. Do not slow me down. Well, let's ask Rebecca. What does Rebecca want? Does Rebecca want to stick around for a little longer and hang out with the family? Or is she ready to take off? What does Rebecca say? Verse 57. Then they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go. She doesn't hesitate. She is moving. It says in Scripture that anyone who loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And if anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and inherit eternal life. Are you willing to sacrifice and forsake all that you know to follow Jesus Christ? She's saying goodbye to everything she knows and traveling to a foreign land. She has no idea where she's going. She doesn't know all the details. She doesn't know who she's going to meet. She just knows that it sounds awesome. And she's on for adventure. No regrets. Is that you with Jesus Christ? The difference is we know who we're going to meet. You've never seen him face to face, but you're going to one day. Are you? Bam, I'm going. Nothing's holding me back. Are you willing to forsake all to follow Jesus Christ as she is? Skip a few pages of notes. All right. Let's hit up the sun. The sun. Let's 
verse 34. We want to look into a minute about the Son. Verse 34. And so he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. And he has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, manservants and maidservants, and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age. So we're talking about Abraham here. He's saying, now listen, Abraham, my, my master, super wealthy, super wealthy, owns it all. There is nothing my master does not have. He's filthy rich, filthy rich. He's a man of power, a man of prestige. And what has he done? He has given it right here. And he has given him everything he owns. Abraham left his son in charge of everything. He gave Isaac everything. What has God done with the son? We read this morning in Hebrews. God the Father has taken everything in this universe and placed it in the hands of his son and say, you're in charge. Everything is now you, yours. You are supreme over all things. You call the shots. You own it all. You're in charge. Isaac, you were faithful to me. You were humble to me. You were willing to sacrifice your life in obedience to me on that hill one day. Jesus Christ, my son, you were obedient to me. You followed me. You obeyed my other, every command. You were willing to sacrifice your life, and you did sacrifice your life for obedience to me and for the love of the people. You know what? Here, it's all yours. It's all yours. Everything is Jesus Christ. Everything belongs to him now. God the Father has placed him in charge. Was Isaac excited and expecting and longing to see his bride one day? Or where was he? He went halfway to meet her. He went out looking for her. And you know what? The best part is, we see there that he's out meditating and he's, he's, he's heading out on his journey trying to get closer to try and you know, meet her early. When he sees her, what does he do? Just go, come on. All right. What does Jesus Christ do? Jesus Christ, does He come for us? Yes, He does. We know that in the rapture occurs. Okay? We can read it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That a day is coming when Jesus Christ will come from heaven down to the clouds and He will call His church, His bride, and take us up to heaven and be with Him. He will come meet us halfway. Just as Isaac went out and met Rebekah, Jesus Christ will do the same for us. He is excited. He is longing for the day when we will spend eternity with Him. God is excited about spending eternity with you. Are you excited about that? Man, this is going to be a wedding day. This is exciting. Now, a last minute of application. Okay? A last minute of application. Do you feel special? Do you feel special knowing that God not only sacrificed Himself for you, but that He wants to spend eternity with you?
and that God the Father has picked you to be the bride of his son. There's nothing more precious to God the Father than the son. Nothing. And he wants to offer his son a gift. And guess what that gift is? It's you. Does that make you feel special? Well, on a wedding day, is a bride feel special? I hope, hon, you felt special that day. Because you're special to me. Alright? Does a bride feel special? I hope she does. Because you know what she does? She spends hours and hours and hours doing this and doing this and this and then picking out the right outfit, right? They go crazy trying to look their best, be their best, give it everything they got because here, I'm yours. You know what, guys? You're a bride. Sorry, guys, it's kind of weird, but you're a bride, okay? Are you doing this? Doing this? All right, dress yourself to make yourself look good for the sun. Are you giving it everything you've got to give yourself to him as a pure virgin, one who is spotless unto him? Are you trying to do that? Are you excited about the wedding to come one day? Are you saying to the Holy Spirit, clean me up. I know I'm a filthy mess. Clean me up. Give me a bath. Get rid of the sin in my life because I want to look good for my, my groom one day. Are you asking him to clean you up? Because you can't do it on your own. You need the God himself to come in do the work of sanctification and clean you up. Are you, are you asking for it? He's going to do it one way or another. But are you trying to get it done? Are you trying to look good for the Son? Let's close in prayer. Lord God, our Father, we thank you for the story. This is the picture of, of what you did for your Son and what you are doing for your Son, preparing a bride. I thank you, Lord, that in these times you have uh, you've deemed us to be part of that party, to be part of the wedding party, to be a part of the, the bride. I pray that we'd be excited about it. I pray that we'll be thankful for it, that you have chosen us. May we offer our lives up in service and being thankful. May we live a life worthy of all that you have done on our behalf. Lord, we know that one day we will be with you in heaven, and there will be a great party. And that day we will spend eternity with your son, and we'll get to see him face to face. We'll be able to say thank you. I pray that we would long for that day. We would look forward to that day. We give you simple thanks. In your son's name we pray. Amen.